Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Hey, listen, I'm really excited about our show this week. Uh, in a little while, I've got Tim Hudak joining me. He is the future CEO of Aria, and we're going to be talking about a lot of hot topics. One of them, of course, is the fact that we've got some alleged realtors that are not acting professionally in multiple offers, and they're actually um, they're actually dishonestly presenting and not presenting and guaranteeing people the winning of multiple offers. I don't like it. You know I have a problem with this kind of stuff. And we're going to talk to Tim Hudak in a little while about that. And uh, I'll tell you, the news is alive with so many things this week. One, you know, we get, we are getting extreme marketplaces and, you know, I don't know if some of you remember what happened back in the eighties, but the Vancouver and Toronto market were at opposite ex, uh, ends of the spectrum. So what happened typically was that Vancouver market would be down, Toronto would be through the roof, and then vice versa. Toronto market dropped, Vancouver went through the roof. And for the last few years, they've both been on the upswing until the most recent events in the last, I'm going to call it five months. You know, everybody thinks the foreign buyer tax was the one that implemented the downturn in the market, but the market was already turning in Vancouver, uh, short of, of inventory. People couldn't go anywhere. They finally decided to stay put. You know, it was losing its luster. Now, recently, we just last month, they said that sales had dropped by 38.8%. That's a huge number out in the BC Vancouver market. So, what can we attribute all of this to? Well, I'm going to talk about to Tim about it, but I want to kind of touch on it right now myself. There's uh, there's a few things that people have to understand about marketplaces. When they say 38% that the volume dropped, they're not talking about dollars. And this is where, you know, we've got to watch out for shock headlines in any market. We're going to talk about Toronto in a minute, but when we see shock headlines, it's Homes sale, you know, when they say home sales fell 38.8% last month, your initial reaction is, okay, did the unit number of sales fall or did the price fall? And this is one of those things that, again, shock value for a headline uh, is very important to some of the news, you know, uh, medias. But in this case, we need to analyze it. If the price only falls by 1%, does that mean the market's in a decline or is it actually stabilized into a marketplace? So I personally think, looking at this marketplace, I think that Vancouver is going to retract. I don't think it's going to retract drastically. I think we're going to see a downturn in the Vancouver market between 5 and 10% and it has to. The market itself was in a overheated state to a point where they didn't have enough of the actual Canadian buyers, foreign buyers were buying up too much product and they weren't getting people coming in for the longevity. Now, let's talk about Toronto. Recently, Toronto just released the 905 market is the hottest market in, uh, in Ontario, looking at actually in Canada with an increase of around 29% last month, year over year. So September 2015, to, or sorry, October 2015 to October 2016, 29% difference. Now that's huge. Now remember, prices don't just run up in one month. So we have to look at the escalation. So it's more important that we would analyze it month over month. So that would say that Toronto had an increase, let's say from September to October 
of 1% or 2%. And this is why we have to quantify it this way. Because if you keep talking about year over year, everybody thinks that, well, since last month, the prices went up 30%. No, they've gone done that for an entire year. So again, run up, we have to keep our eyes on that number. Because a lot of people get overexcited and say, wow, I better jump it in the market, thinking that you're going to make you know, 30, 60 days down the road, 10, 20, 30%. No, you're probably going to make 4% if the market kept going. But I don't see the market keep going. In fact, you know, the number of sales are up as well, up by 11%. So that's volume of sales. Number of units sold in the marketplace is up 11% year over year. Now, if we take a look at the number of people that immigrated into the marketplace and we say 11%, and if our overall number this year goes from 103,000 in 2015 to 100 and let's say 15,000 in 2016, we've got 11% increase year over year for volume. Now, again, looking at it, that's not a huge number. 13,000 homes sell in the Toronto area, the greater Toronto area, let's say, more than they did last year, but yet we probably had 150,000 people move into the area, maybe even more. We had, listen, folks, don't forget, we took a lot of people in from Alberta. Uh, this year, you know, with all the problems that they had in Fort McMurray, the loss of uh, employment and everything else, a lot of people packed up and they have come to Ontario. And so when we look at it, are we looking at the volume? And I'm talking volume, not numbers, dollar value, but volume. Are we looking at something that's staggering? No, actually, this is the number that we should be looking at every single year. Based on our growth, we should be looking at that number of 10, 12% year over year for volume. Again, not dollar. And that's one of those things I want everybody to understand because again, with all this stuff that's coming out in the news, even I look at it, you know, I, I you know, first thing in the morning, I make sure I get on the, on all the hotlines, taking a look at the news and all of a sudden I see these numbers. And at first, when I first read it, you know, in my, in my hazy state at 6am, I'm looking at it and saying, Am I reading that right? 38%? Am I missing something? Did I miss a, like a, a market explosion? And then, of course, you have to read, read the rest of the details. And that's really important. So other than that, um, you know what? They're, they're talking about luxury home sales appear to be slowing because of the 15% tax on foreign buyers. So looking at the Vancouver market, yeah, of course we know that's going to slow. Now, will it happen in Ontario? I think people are going to be very cautious. And of course, we have to thank Kathleen Wynne. And uh, I hope that she was listening. I'd like to thank her for not implementing the foreign buyer tax here in Ontario, because I think that it's too soon to figure out if that really would have the proper effect. We don't use a sledgehammer. You know what? We want to just kind of pick away at it. And more importantly, I think that for most people right now, we're going to wait and find out the fallout with the new rules and regulations for, I call them first-time home buyers, but I'm going to call it actually high ratio mortgages, which is less than 20% down. CMHC, of course, introduced on October 17th, their new rules and regulations on this, and pretty much dictating that if you're going to qualify, you're going to have to qualify right now. I think it's 4.65. So it changed everybody's ability to qualify for CMHC. Uh, something in the neighborhood of around 20% reduction on what, what you would normally buy. So if you're going to get something as a $400,000 mortgage, you're now down to 320. So again, this is going to create a little bit of a problem more so for first time home buyers. And I'm glad that Miss um, Wynn had made a decision not 
to implement this because this would have been a problem. Now, I'm going to uh, I'm going to go the other direction for a minute. Um, don't forget uh, the simple investor. Uh, if you want to find out more about investing in real estate, go to thesimpleinvestor.com. But I want to talk about um, actually a personal situation that we have, um, and I find it very interesting. And I was talking to my uh, my marketing manager uh, this week, and one of the things is that. When people say there's not a lot of employment, I'm going to tell you I'm shocked because we had posted a bunch of jobs out there because we are very much a growing company at The Simple Investor. And we found that most people, when you react to their resumes, they don't bother getting back to you. When you book a uh, an actual interview with them, they don't even bother showing up. And it's funny because we're in a position where we are looking at to hire four people into our company. We're looking for a new receptionist. We are looking for somebody in our accounting department. We're looking for an internal property manager. And unfortunately, right now, we're finding that not people don't take, you know, job interviews seriously. And we actually had a ton of it of resumes because everybody hops on, you know, the different forms of being able to find them on the internet, they just blanket them and they don't bother getting back to anybody. So I find it interesting when people say it's tough to find jobs out there. Well, I'd have to say as an employer, it's really tough sometimes to find employees. Uh, if you want to submit your resume to The Simple Investor, you can do so, info at thesimpleinvestor.com. And as I mentioned, we're looking for a receptionist, we're looking for a bookkeeper, junior accountant, and some people in property management because we continue to grow. And speaking of growing, we will be having a new release in the new year. And of course, um, we haven't announced the date for the next Simple Seminar, but it will be coming up. So go to thesimpleinvestor.com com today and you can find out more about owning investment real estate and uh, the fortunately the rules right now have not had any adverse effect to people that own investment real estate with the new mortgage rules. So this is a very positive thing and I believe that people should continue to look at home ownership as an investment tool when you create it for uh, for tenants. So for sure, you know, lots of opportunities out there. And again, um, you know, as I said, go to simpleinvestor.com and you can find out more about us. So coming up, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be joined by Tim Hudak. We're going to cover a lot of things today, folks. There's a lot going on in the industry. Again, we're always going to keep a watchful eye. We know that Vancouver, not in a tailspin financially, but definitely in a uh, actual unit sales, they are down very much so. Toronto continues continues to move forward at a very strong pace. Hey, listen, one of the hottest markets, of course, that I believe, and I was mentioning this to Jerry Agar uh, earlier in the week, was that uh, your Oshawa, your Ajax, your Whitby area, very, very strong areas to invest in, to buy in. Again, home ownership is less expensive in these marketplaces. Huge run up in the Burlington Hamilton area over the last few years to the point where CMHC is actually put a red flashing light on Hamilton as they have in Toronto and the Vancouver market. You know, they've got some concerns. But if we take a look at the east side of the GTA, great value there. So if you're a homeowner there, you're in good shape. You know, I think that that has some very good value. I always talk about brick and mortar. It's really hard to replace at the current value that you can sell something in those marketplaces and it's almost impossible to build it. So when we come back, I'm going to have Tim Hudak 
former uh, leader of the Provincial Conservative Party in Ontario. He's going to be joining me. He is also going to be uh, taking over the reins of CEO of Aria very shortly. So, Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, you bet, Todd. Thanks for being back on. And since I was last on your show, congratulations on your wedding. Thank you. Fantastic news. You are smiling. You're much happier. <laughs> and you still got a bit of the tan from your honeymoon. There you go. Say. You know, yeah, that's 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 the thing. You know, marriage is a, is a very positive thing for a lot of people. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, Tim, listen, you know what? I got to tell you, the news is just riddled with uh, stuff about real estate. You know, it, it's kind of funny. With a show like ours, we never run out of material. And I know now that you are going to come in as the CEO of Aria, you're going to step into those shoes and realize there is never a shortage of material, comments, issues, problems. I mean, it's all over the market. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always found it interesting. And as we've talked about before, I had a very close working relationship with the Ontario Real Estate Association, Aria, over the years. Yes. Was cabinet minister that brought in the current act and RICO, the regulator. I always like the people, and it's really exciting now. I mean, I retired from politics back in um, September, yep. and I spent a lot of time in the last few weeks just sort of running around the province, speaking with people like yourself in the industry. So it's kind of like going back to school, yeah. learning more about it, and officially take the reins as CEO come December 2nd. Yeah, very exciting. And actually, just as you had uh, packed it in, I think that was the weekend I was getting married, and you had your big annual barbecue, um, and was kind of your, your last statement as a politician. That's right. We yeah. did a chicken and ribs barbecue down at Balls Falls in Vineland. That's actually where Debbie and I were married, the little yeah. chapel there. So it's a special place in my heart, my memories. And we could have catered your wedding with some of those chicken and ribs <laughs> then, sir. So, uh, so you know what? So let's, let's, let's talk about what's happening in the news. I mean, there's so much that you and I can talk about. Obviously, um, you know, we, we look out at Vancouver, we look here in Ontario. <clears throat> one of the things that we've seen and, uh, you know, a couple of topics that I really do want to get into with you, but one that we've seen that, you know, we thought for sure was going to happen was that the current premier has now stepped back off the ledge of putting in a foreign buyer tax. Now, recent reports this week says that the Vancouver market number of sales are off by 39%. Prices aren't retracting by much. And we kind of figured that would be the case. We knew the numbers would go down as far as the volume because of the foreign buyers. But we also kind of felt that as soon as that came in, a lot of people would not start looking at selling because they were a lot of people came in the market because they wanted to take advantage of the foreign buyers they wanted that extra money i think a lot of people have now decided to stay put so i think that i think the market out there is stabilized what is your take on the fact that we've stepped back from the toronto ledge well i think premier win is making the right call you know it was actually quite nice one of the um my first week on the job as the incoming ceo yes uh, as the understudy, if you will, that um, the premier directed her principal secretary and her top staff to to meet with me and uh, our team from Maria just to get sort of where we were on some of the big issues. So we talked about this notion of the foreign tax. And um, as you saw, the premier now has publicly stepped back from this notion. She's expressed concern that, like we're seeing in Vancouver, that this also means people who currently own homes that are going to sell to retire, maybe move down to Niagara, or those that have invested in their homes, that they would lose value in their homes. That's the other side of this coin that we often forget about. And when you look at now, what is it, three months of numbers, I guess, in British Columbia, it's really a, a cautionary tale. You know, I, I call it the Goldilocks touch, right? You want, you know, not too hot, not too cold. You want it just right. Yep. Governments are not good at that. No. They're not good <laughs> at those delicate touches. 
And when you interfere in the housing market, it can have significant repercussions like we're seeing now in Vancouver, where it's kind of ground to a halt and some people are losing value. Yeah. See, I was on I was on with uh, Jerry Agar this week and he and I were talking again about the Vancouver market and the Toronto market. And, you know, we both kind of agree. We're, we're not fans of the government stepping in and pressuring markets, meaning trying to adjust them, you know, implementing taxes to try to cool the market. There was, there was no motivation other than to cool the market, you know, stop people from coming in and, and buying. So foreign ownership. The other thing, of course, um, is that, you know, now they've stepped in and want to change the rules for the first time home buyers. And, you know, something, you know, I'd like to talk to you about in a minute. But when we take a look at the interference, as you said, their touch is is not necessarily delicate enough to be able to, to tune it and tune it at the right rate. So we kind of have extremes that happen. You know, as soon as they get involved, there's normally a s- extreme reaction to their involvement. So, you know, I don't believe that we're going to have a crash landing in, in the uh, BC market. But as you said, there's a lot of people that were kind of depending on that money and now they're not going to be able to sell their houses. Exactly. And the other thing with the, the rapid decline in the number of homes that are being sold, mm-hmm. right? That means less economic activity because, well, Deb and I just bought a home in Toronto. So we're going to do some renovations or spinoff jobs in the economy as a result of that. Some new appliances. We got more space with some more furniture. So that also has a significant impact. And the Ontario economy, we all want to see doing much better than it is today. Sure. So if we capsize the housing market, and just think of the impact that's going to have on depressing job creation. Well, yeah, that's going to be a massive rippling effect. I mean, as you said, you know, right now, renovations um, have gone through the roof. A lot of people that have invested in the recent market, you know, the ones that we were talking about, bidding wars, and that's an interesting topic for us uh, to talk about. But the these people are buying properties, and instead of buying the perfect property, they're actually buying ones that they're going to renovate. So the renovation industry, you know, we have build on every once in a while. Uh, we get uh, John Carlo uh, Silfidis on, and and um, I'll, I'll tell you, what we've seen over the over the last few years is the building industry, the renovation industry, has gone through the roof in Ontario. I mean, we're talking multi-billion dollars worth of revenue generated, and this is something that could have a you know have a, a I guess an unstabling effect in the economy if they got pressured and pushed the real estate market down. For sure, and a lot of those businesses that do the renovations, they're small businesses, entrepreneurs. The jobs tend to pay well, and we actually want to see you know, more jobs. Very much so. Not less. The other thing I want to add to this, Todd, is that, you know, I, I've been in politics for 21 years. I get it. It's easy to paint the foreigner as the target and instead of adjusting to the real problems, right, to, to point the finger at somebody else. So I'm pleased to see the province of Ontario is resisting that. We have put some good ideas on the table, and I'll, I'll tell you two of them that, that we've suggested to the premier and to the finance minister. Um, first, we should expand the home buyer tax credit. That's the tax credit that came in in the 1990s mm-hmm. to give first-time home buyers a break on the land transfer tax. Yep. Now, unfortunately, while that was a PC government initiative and supported by the Liberals and they expanded it, it's been frozen in time. Right. So we've said, you know what, we'll, we'll be a help to first-time home buyers. Just relieve the land transfer tax, the provincial portion on new homes. And then for the long run, the only way we'll get out of this really is to add more housing supply. We've got more people chasing fewer houses, so prices are going up. 
Let's add more houses. If you're just tuning in, my guest this hour is Tim Hudak. He is former uh, leader of the Provincial Conservative Party here in Ontario. But more importantly, um, he's incoming CEO of ARIA. And, uh, you know, Tim has a vast experience uh, dealing with a lot of pressure points in real estate, working with RICO, implementing a lot of the rules and bylaws that, you know, realtors and the industry has to follow. And Tim, I think uh, just before the break, you know, you and I were talking about, you know, the BC market, the fact that our, um, our, you know, Kathleen Wynne has not implemented the foreign buyer tax here. It's a good thing. It's a positive thing, I think. But one of the things that uh, I wanted to make a note of, and I don't know if you agree or not, I believe in foreign ownership. I really do. I believe that it's a good driver for us. I think that, um, you know, it, it shouldn't uh, control a marketplace. But I, I always believe that there should have been a pressure valve on the other side, meaning that foreign buyers can't come in and flip properties, which means it's strictly speculative. Okay, so they must they must have ownership. On top of that, there must be a timeline of ownership. And then if not, then we increase the taxation on the exit. So I think I think there was better rules to be implemented. So if I'm going to give any advice uh, to Miss Wynn out there, it would be something to that effect that there's got to be other forms, but not just one hammer, like use a, you know, you know, when you use a mallet, right. okay, well, that 15% was a mallet. Have you ever used a tack hammer? You, you, it's very precise. I think I still we, miss the nail. But. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, my thumb could tell you that too. <laughs> but if we take a look at something a little bit more precise, I think that that's the way Ontario should look. I just have always, uh, to, that, to that principle, I've always believed that you make decisions based on the evidence and the numbers. And if you make a knee jerk reaction, you can tend to do more damage and make the problem worse than it is. Uh, I get your point, and there's no doubt uh, Vancouver's looked at a similar method that you described, Todd, in Australia. We'll, we can watch and see what actually happens in the marketplace. Sure. But in, in the long run, um, we really have to, under, to address the underlying problem, and that's while Vancouver has mountains and an ocean to restrict land supply and housing supply, sure. we have artificial barriers here. We have a series of different pieces of legislation, like the Places to Grow Act that have limited land supply, intensification targets that mean more condos, and the pressures aren't as high there. But a lot of people want to live in a detached or semi-detached home, and that's where the pressure is today. Yep. We need more of those to give people more choice, and that can hold down the increase in prices. Yeah. So is this something when you become active with ARIA that you're going to be looking into? Because, again, for, you know, the general public, you know, we hear a lot of, you know, the situations where, you know, for instance, if, you, if you're anywhere near the escarpment, there's such a setback that people, you know, there's some beautiful land could be developed, but yet... There's rules and regulations that are disallowing people to do it. I'm not saying use up all our, you know, beautiful land, but at the same time, you know, we're being limited, as you said. For sure. I mean, decisions should be made. If there's an environmentally sensitive piece of land, let's preserve that and protect it. We want to have our share of parks. But the balance has gone so far, and it's almost like um, we, we've been forced into boxes to say everybody has to live higher and higher in fewer family homes. Yeah. Now, some time in life, you're a student or maybe you're moving back to the city in retirement, that's an option. But if your family's starting out, you want a place to kick the ball around with your daughter, we need more in that semi-detached, attached, and townhome area. Yep. And that's where the biggest uh, pressure ha- has been. So, yes, are we doing that? Yeah, we already are. I mean, Ray Ferris, our, our president, and he sends his regards. He's down at the uh, NAR conference, yep. the National Association of Realtors, right now. Excellent. Um, so we've had a series of meetings. I have some more coming up with the finance minister, as I had mentioned. I'm meeting with the consumer minister as well to push some of these ideas to help make sure that people can get a home they can afford and families can start out and get out of mom and dad's basement. 
But I also want to address some of the consumer issues in that Marketplace show that was on last night. We tried to get on that, Todd, to give Aria's point of view, the voice of the realtors in our province. They wouldn't have us on. Sure. But when you see uh, some of these guys, as you said, allegedly putting their hands in the cookie jar, you know, it, it first, it's shocking to see that. And then secondly, realtors get mad and the public gets mad and realtors get even angrier. So, and, and I'll tell you why, because what that means is that those people are scamming those who are trying to make the biggest purchase of their lives, a home, a place to raise a family. And a realtor's only good as his or her name, so their here, reputation, and undermines the, it. Here's the one thing. I think we need to clarify for our listeners, because not everybody had caught, a, caught the show yeah. or have seen the articles in the newspapers regarding this. So um, just for clarity, folks, and again, it's alleged, <laughs> just for clarity, it's alleged, um, that there's realtors that have been in place that have actually, you know, tried to create multiple offers, guaranteed people success in the offers, you know, have been holding back with other offers. There's a lot of, you know, incorrect, unethical um, things being used. And at the end of the day, what they do is they're almost fixing offers. So in other words, don't worry. I'll get your offer through. It doesn't matter what else is happening. I'll let you know what the price is. Like there's a lot of different things happening. And this has been now exposed. You know, there are people, you know, allegedly on tape that are actually indicating that this is something they're going to do as far as an activity. Tim, this has been, you know, one of the biggest concerns uh, that we've talked about here on the show for years about the way people handle multiple offers, how things are being negotiated. We've seen people, you know, obviously lose their shirts, you know, because, or their minds trying to compete and they were, you know, unfair advantage. Um, so, you know, how, how, how are we going to be taking a look at this? Look, I think that anybody who breaks the tight rules in place or violates a realtor's code of ethics, they're on their own. And we want to see the regulator Rico throw the book at them sure. because they're taking advantage of people and the biggest purchase they'll make in their lives. And it also brings down the reputation of realtors, the 66,000 hardworking, ethical people we have in the province in this profession. Here's one thing I mentioned, I'll meet with the consumer minister, we'll put on the table. When the act was brought in, and that was actually me in 2002, the fine was $25,000 for this. Now, the real estate market has gone up considerably since 2002. So let's look at least doubling the fines for those that are violating it and making sure we've got the teeth in the system of the regulator to weed out these guys who are taking advantage of people and make sure that consumers can trust the realtor. So is it time that they make an example of them? I, I look you at know, like there's got to be an example made because there there's enough of, of it. You know, when when you find one, chances are there's a lot more. Yeah, for sure. And then when when realtors see this, they they want to see these guys uh, out of the business. That if they break the laws, if they violate the code of ethics, because realtors get angry about this because they'll say to me, "Look, Tim, I'm only as good as my reputation." And sure. if if a family doesn't trust me to help, you know, get that home or make that big investment, I'm I'm out of business fast. So they follow the rules. And these rules are, are tight as is. You have to have consent from both sides. You have to walk them through the process. There are consumer protections. Those that toss that stuff out the window, we don't want them in the profession. Sure. And, you know, for, for years, I, um, I, I basically have spent, you know, the majority of my life uh, in real estate negotiations. As a former realtor, um, you know, I, uh, I was able to negotiate thousands of deals. 
And one of the things that actually drove me out of the business or made me make the final decision that I no longer wanted to be part of it was a lot to do with the ethics, the, the way people were conducting themselves. You know, people would turn around and send me offers. Uh, they had due dates, let's say, on a condition. And we'd be calling them saying, okay, your, your deal's dead. And the next day, no, no response from the agent. Next day, no response from the agent. We finally said, fine, we're sending you a mutual release. My client shouldn't be held to this. And they'd turn around and they, the agent would actually try to backdate the, the waivers, or they would actually cross out the date, put in a new date, and we would turn around and say, sorry, we kill, we're killing your deal, and that was it. You know, return the deposit. And because there, there has to be rules and regulations followed when a negotiation like this is happening, people have to be able to trust the system, trust the people that are backing the system, knowing that both they're being represented on both sides fairly. And unfortunately, this has not been the case. You know, I, I can tell you wholeheartedly, there are hundreds of agents that I have dealt with that are absolutely awesome. They are the full-time professional agents. These are the people that we are proud to have in the industry. Um, you know, I can thank them for, you know, being ethical for years and working with me. I, I greatly appreciate them. Most of you know who you are. And at the end of the day, there's those select few that have absolutely, you know, tarnished the image of both realtors and the industry. So, I'm really hoping that, um, you know, obviously Rico uh, and of course, you know, Aria has a great guidance system as far as I'm concerned. You know, they, they can stay on top of things. I think this is going to be a very positive thing when you step into that position. Absolutely. And we're lucky to have some experienced uh, leaders in the system on the Aria board. So when we go in to see the concern ministers, exactly what you're talking about, Todd, we're going to talk about how we can make sure the act that was a leading act in 2002, the mm-hmm. Real Estate Business Brokers Act that yep. brought in the regular Rico. That was a leader in 2002, helped set standards across North America. But now we're 14 years later. Yeah. So let's make sure that we maintain the highest consumer standards possible, reward professionals in the industry. And then those guys that are breaking the rules and that are taking advantage of consumers, that you know, that we're hearing about, yep. they're on their own. Let's yep. get them outside of it and let's make sure we have high standards across the board. Yeah, excellent. Uh, my guest this hour is Tim Hudak. And uh, Tim is the incoming CEO of... Uh, Aria and very exciting conversation so far, Tim. We were talking about the alleged uh, realtors that have been caught, you know, I'm going to say mistreating the public. Okay. It's probably the best way for me to do it because they have the public's trust and then they break it. Yeah. And they they know what the rules are and they toss those rules uh, aside, um, allegedly, right? If you watch the. the videos uh, here. Look, and you know, when it comes to using the same broker, buyer, or seller, there are opportunities for consumers who want to do that. Maybe they're buying a cottage in a in a small town. There's not that many realtors around. Sure. There's somebody you trust. There's a specialist that knows a particular neighborhood in Toronto. Maybe somebody you bought a home from before. You want to use them. You just got to make sure the buyer and seller both agree. You walk them through the process and the protections. There are tight rules in place. And if we can bring in some reforms to make the punishments higher for those that toss out the rules. Let's do it. I think one of the things that uh, a lot of brokerages need to do is get a re-education on, on dual agency, double ending, and you know, representing both parties. Um, I think that it's not strong enough for some. You know, some people they get a little lax with it, and it's kind of just, oh, don't worry. You know, I'm going to present your offer. Yeah, working with me. A lot of people. You know, one one of the things I found very interesting in the industry when you know I I did a, I, I work with a lot of listings and a lot of times when I took a listing, somebody would say, Todd, if you bring the offer, are you going to give us a break on commission? Well, 
in my opinion, it's really hard to wear both hats, okay? So you've got to represent a buyer. And quite frankly, you're better to have a buyer agent who's a shark trying to negotiate, trying to figure out every single piece of the market to give you the best deal. Then you're better to have the shark as the listing agent who's going to go out and make sure that everybody knows your property's for sale. So in other words, you really do need a separation of representation. And the whole double ending thing gets a little skewed and it's very hard for people to truly represent both parties' best interest. And unfortunately, with a lot of sellers, they then turn around and equate it to a commission dollar. They say, hey, but I'll take your offer because you promised that you would do it for this if you sell it yourself. Well, that's a problem because the chances are that the listing agent's going to get the highest sale price for them is not as likely as if you left it to the open market and let another buyer agent come in and push his client for the price. And that's where, that's where I think there's got to be a new education that's been, that, that gets brought into the market. I have a couple things on that. I mean, the, the current um, the tight rules that are in place make sure that the buyer and seller both know, right, that they both sign off and this actually physically signed to say that they're okay with the relationship where there's a single realtor for the buyer and seller. But you say tight rules, but they're not being followed. Th- which is the problem, right? Exactly. So, I mean, I, they're, they're being followed by the, by the vast majority of the 66,000 realtors, but those sure. that are breaking the rules, Todd, yeah, we want to see uh, the regulator, you know, throw the book at Those guys are on their own because they're taking advantage of people in a very sensitive time of their lives with a major purchase. Sure. So... Let's go to, uh, I'm going to call call it both a happier um, situation and yet one that's in a precarious position due to the new rules by CMHC. So first time homebuyers, you know, I always have believed that all marketplaces, and I'm talking real real estate marketplaces, are driven by first-time homebuyers. Because without the first-time homebuyer, you don't have the move-up buyer. So in other words, some the, the, that previous first-time homebuyer can't sell the property and go to the next level. And you know, with the cycle of, of actual life, and it's a better way of looking at it that way, is that you've got your young couple, they get married, they buy their first home. Eventually, let's say they start a family. The family starts to grow. They have more needs. They want backyards. They want maybe two cars, double car garage, that kind of thing. So we watch the cycle spin up. And so this allows the marketplace to continue to drive itself top to bottom. And with the new rules, of course, we're watching them crack down, making it a little bit harder for that group to buy. Now, your take, um, if I may ask for it, is, you know, there's a lot more of of a first-time homebuyer than just somebody purchasing a home. Let's talk about that. I just, I mean, you, we really know um, where our gut is because it largely comes from personal experience. So what I mean by that is I remember when I bought my first home in, in 2002 and Todd, it did change me as a man. I, I, I became more long-term in my thinking. I took more pride in the property. I invested in it. Mm-hmm. It was equity uh, as well that could be used for, you know, other loans or such down the road. I, I just feel it, it, I personally changed at that point in life when I owned my own property. Sure. And with my old economist hat on here from my education before public life and politics and now with ARIA, there are a slew of economic analyses that say it actually is good for the community. It makes better neighborhoods. They're more productive workers at the end of the day. There are major spinoff benefits sure. from homeownership beyond the individual feeling good about it yep. that actually cause a uh, more cohesive community and a stronger economy. 
Yeah, no, I agree 100%. You know, one of the things I recognized was that when um, when I first started in real estate, I worked solely with first-time home buyers. And I was very fortunate to see them years later because they'd come back when it was time for their move-up. But what, what I found with them is that, you know, they were much more grounded. They had pride of ownership. You could see that when you walk into their home, you saw you saw their life on display. You know, in other words, you've watched somebody evolve, a family evolve, you know, get stronger. And they knew everything about the neighborhood. You know, and if people start off on the right foot, then they, you know, they contribute to the neighborhood. You know, they know everybody that's trick-or-treating, that kind of thing. It's, as you mentioned, community. You know, we can, we can turn around and one of, the, one of the things, folks, that is so easy when we talk about real estate and we talk about realtors is that we always talk about dollars, but yet we don't have enough conversation about the overall effect it has on humanity, like people themselves and what they can offer to a community. Because ownership isn't just about the dollars and cents and putting money away. It's actually about the memories that you form. And, you know, I've, I, you know, growing up, you know, in, in, you know, South Mississauga, one of the things that I recognized, you know, I'll go by the old family home and all of a sudden all the memories come flooding back. And, uh, you know, my, my, my new wife, she turns around and says, you seem to know everybody here. They're always <laughs> saying hi to you. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Years and years and years later, you still know the community. You still know it. And there's so much more added value to that, that, you know, it's amazing how what people don't realize and, and to put a dollar value to it communities are worth more money as well. And this is the thing, because a lot of people hear about a community and, you know, there's, there's school, school zones that will turn around, but people create communities around schools. And when they do that, people say, well, that's a great school, but it's a great community. I want to be part of it. So there's a lot more value than just dollars and cents. And I'm not talking about, you know, real estate investment. You know, most people know that I am the simple investor and I talk about returns on rent, but to be quite frank, if you have a community in a rental area too, the same thing. You get a better return. You get better people wanting to live there. They they have more pride. They take care of the area. This whole thing, you know, unfortunately, we all break it down to dollars and cents. And of course, everybody says, how much did my house go up by? Well, more importantly, how much did you enjoy your house? Yeah. And how much did your family enjoy it? agree with all that. And just to add to my list of what the economics tells us, you mentioned schools, that they have found whatever income group, whatever your family background, if you're a homeowner, the kids tend to do better in school as well. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fascinating? So it is. all the spin-off values that come from it. And that's why I think that that government should put the principle of home ownership in the front window, which should be a policy that they try to attain for as many people as possible, responsibly so. You don't want to sure. get in trouble like the states did a number of years ago. Right. But it has such benefits to the economy, to communities as a whole, it makes us all stronger. And that'll be a big focus for ARIA as it has been and going forward. Because there's a debate right now, Todd, that maybe, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't build more houses and we should have more renters. We should encourage renting. I'm with a different view. Renting's for a time of life. It's a legitimate choice. But I think we should put as a lead indicator principle the value of home ownership. Yep. No, I agree 100%. And I think that... Um you know, the government's going to have to take a look at what programs they could implement to, they have, they're going to have to do a bit of an offset based on the new qualification rules. Maybe it's, you know, something to do, as you've mentioned, you know, land transfer tax credits, something to aid first-time homebuyers into this market. Because right now, you know, now first-time homebuyers are looking at properties that are going to cost 20% less based on the new qualification rules. And this is one of those things that unless they're actually buying with a conventional mortgage, meaning more than 20% down, if they're going to the CMHC route, 
uh, it's going to make it a little bit tough. So I think we're going to see a few people struggle in getting their first home. And again, it's the wrong part of the market to deflate. So I think encouraging the first time home buyers is something very important for our future. For sure. And then the province can adjust for that. You make a good point that the heat wasn't necessarily at the first time home buyer level. Their instrument on the mortgage controls is impacting that area. Yep. So what can the province of Ontario do to help? Clearly, expanding the home buyer tax credit for first-time home buyers, so you waive the land transfer tax. Yep. It's all be a help, yep. right, when you're making those big financial decisions and moving forward in life. Yeah, because they're still they're only affecting the, the bottom part of the market. So, um, listen, Tim. Of, you know, honestly, I love having you come on the show. It's great to talk to you. One of the things I was going to ask you, you uh, coming up tomorrow, your show Sunday at 5 p.m., uh, what are you going to be yeah, talking about? Yeah, so your listeners, your massive audience should keep their <laughs> radios tuned to News Talk 1010. So I do a show on Sundays 5 to 6 on the Bell Talk Radio Network, including News Talk 1010. Yep. And so what I'm talking about on, on Sunday, I did a show about a month ago about car accident victims, and I had one guy on who fought like hell for, I think, eight or nine years, finally got his settlement. But you know what, Todd? His lawyer took 50 cents on every dollar. Wow. That goes way too high. We should have a cap so that accident victims, particularly when you're badly hurt, sure. you keep more of the money. So I have two more people on that are going to talk about how they were ripped off okay. by some of the personal injury lawyers that are looking like the ones we see across the border in Buffalo, New York, right? In the big sides. Oh, yeah, big sides, sure. And the second thing, I just talked about Donald Trump because we're a few days away from the election campaign. Has he been good or bad for the debate and for the image of politicians? Wow. Interesting. Well, folks, make sure you tune in 5 o'clock tomorrow, Sunday, to uh, Tim Hudak. And um, by the way, thanks so much for tuning in this week, as usual. Always a pleasure. Uh, great to have Tim here as a uh, as a guest because uh, talking with somebody that's real, been there, living it, and again, future uh, CEO of Aria is awesome. And I want to thank my producer, Ian Grant, as usual. Thanks so much, Ian, for keeping me in line because I know you have to. And uh, other than that... Uh, uh, remember, you can tune in next fr- uh, Sorry, next Saturday at 4 p.m. I'll be back. We'll be talking more about real estate. I'm pretty sure we're going to have some interesting developments. Is Mr. Trump going to be president or Hillary Clinton? And will it affect our real estate market? So I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, and I'll talk to you next week.